I am so happy that you're here with us today at the beginning of Advent and our countdown to Christmas. Uh, I'm Chris Jackson, one of the pastors here, and whether you're worshiping here inside with me or whether you're outside or you're worshiping online, welcome, and we love you. So again, welcome to Hope. Several years ago, a man was touring a countryside in Russia, and he went for an evening walk. It was a brilliant night. It was crisp. There was a gorgeous full moon. And as he walked around at night reflecting, thinking, he inadvertently wandered onto a piece of property that belonged to a military base. And a guard saw him traipsing onto the property, and he stopped him. He, he leveled his rifle at the guy, and he shouted out, Who are you? And what are you doing here? And the hiker was a little bit startled, and so he looked up and he, he said, what? And the guard said it again. Who are you, and what are you doing here? And the hiker got kind of a, a curious look on his face, and he said, how much money do you make in a year? And the guard said, what? And the man asked it again, how much money do you make in a year? And the guard got kind of angry, and he said, why are you asking me this? And the man said, because I will pay you twice as much as you make in a year if you will ask me those same two questions every day of my life. Who are you, and what are you doing here? Those are possibly two of the most important questions that you and I will ever be asked. And they're probably two of the most important questions that you and I will ever answer. And they, they, those questions need to be answered and refreshed at different stages of our lives. Uh, so, so we're doing a series here at Hope right now called City of Angels. And in this series, we're looking at some of the angel passages in the Bible to try and identify some actions or some practices or values that we want to hold as sacred as a church. So we have seen in this study so far that angels are strengtheners. Angels come alongside hurting people and they pour power and hope and strength into uh, crushed or off-balance lives. Angels are messengers. They take the reality of, of heaven and the perspectives of eternity, and they, they bring them into this natural life. Angels are carriers of good news. Uh, angels are worshipers. And today, what we'll see in the scriptures is that part of angelic activity is to help us humans answer the questions of who it is that you are and what it is that you are doing here. And that's a very good thing, because ever since you were very small, there have been forces at work in the world to try to name you. There were forces at work in the world that tried to tell you who you were when you were picked last for the team. Anybody need therapy on that one? That there were forces at work that tried to name you when you were picked first for the team. That there, there was something that was trying to tell you who you were when you walked into the packed out cafeteria and there was no seat for you. 
Or, or conversely, when you walked in and it was packed, but then your friends were like, hey, don't worry, we got you covered. We, we've held a seat for you. There was something at work in the world to try and label you when you failed miserably. In those moments when you abandoned your values, when you walked away from the, the priorities and the commitments you made uh, and, and you failed, there was something trying to name you in that moment. Uh, on the other hand, there were also forces trying to name you when you stood the test and you held steady and you paid a price and you won an internal battle that nobody even knew that you were fighting. Um, I love the quote from that ancient Greek philosopher Philo who said, be kind for every person you meet is fighting a great battle. See, if you looked around today, every single face in the room is the face of someone who either is engaged in or who has been engaged in a great battle, a great contest of soul. And sometimes our struggles are obvious. Sometimes they're physical. They're external or they've been made public or everybody knows about them or we talk about them. But a lot of times our deepest struggles are quiet and they're internal, and people have no idea the price we've had to pay or the decisions we've had to make to stay where we are or get where we've got. You know, sometimes that grouchy old person in line at the store is more than a grouchy old person. Sometimes they're a person who's agonizing in prayer over a wayward loved one. Sometimes they're a grieving person who keeps saying goodbye to best friends that keep passing away. Sometimes they're a person who has lived and embodied an incredible name. Who are you and why are you here? One of the ways that God introduces and reveals himself to us in the scriptures is by telling us his names. We have some amazing names of God in the Bible. If you want a powerful prayer time or worship time, if you just rehearse the names of God, we have names of God in the Bible like Yahweh, the great I am, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who started a good work in you and who will finish it. God has names like author and finisher, first, last, beginning, end, pioneer, perfecter. God has names like the vine, the door, the great physician, the good shepherd, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, prince of peace. We have names like Jehovah Nisi, our banner, or Jehovah Rapha, our healer. Or Jehovah Shalom, our peace. Jehovah Rohi, Jehovah Shama, Jehovah Sidkanu, our righteousness. I always like Jehovah Im Kadesh. That's the one who sets us apart and makes us holy. There are incredible names of God in the scriptures, but probably the most powerful and the most tender and the most vulnerable name of God in scripture is the name Father. And that's a little bit of a risky name for God to wear, because there's not a parent out there who has perfectly handled the parental vocation. 
The greatest parents in the world have still fallen short in some areas in their parental calling. And we have to remember that God is not a reflection of what you did or did not experience with your parents. He is the embodiment of what perfect parenthood is supposed to be. And one of the things that, that parents do, I, I love that, that Galatians 4 tells us that the Holy Spirit that's been given to us cries out, Abba. Abba is the Aramaic word for dad. The Holy Spirit cries out, dad, father, from within us. And one of the things that fathers do in Old Testament Hebrew culture, one of their jobs was to name their children. And remember what I said at the very beginning. We have to be refreshed in our name multiple times in our lives based on the season. So you may be a super secure, confident person. You know your identity in Christ many years ago. In this season, what is God calling you to? It wasn't just dads that did the naming, though. Moms named their kids, too. There's lots of scriptures where moms did the naming. In fact, um, in Genesis 16, 11, Hagar, the mother, named Ishmael, her son. In fact, she had an angelic encounter that led her to name her son. In Genesis 16, 11, it says, The angel of the Lord said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard of your misery. Samson's mother named him. So lots of verses where moms did the naming. But, but, but that's what parents do. They ascribe identity or value to their children. So it's very fascinating to me that in John 8... Knowing the purpose of a father and a mother, Jesus described Satan as the father of lies. And then over in James chapter 1, James described God as the father of lights. So in the meta-narrative of your life, in the big picture story of your life, just like Beverly said in the Advent video, your quest for identity has been a tale of two fathers. The father of lights who wants you to live and the father of lies who wants you to be destroyed. Who are you? And what are you doing here? Two fathers have been attempting to answer that question at different junctures in your life. In fact, if you want to do some therapy on yourself... Do you ever do therapy on yourself, by the way? I, I did EMDR therapy on myself the other day. Um, Isaiah and Don and I went to the Mater Dolorosa. It's a prayer place. We spent several hours praying, and I decided to do some like deep internal therapy on myself. I don't know if that works, or but there's a chapel, and they had a big cross in the chapel. I sat in front of the chapel, and I let all of my trauma come to the surface. And then I, I just was trying to offload that. And actually, I don't know if it worked, but I feel a lot better. So it's actually a, a thing. You can do therapy on yourself. If you want a therapeutic moment with yourself, you can look back on your life. And you can ask the Lord to show you where you identified with or named yourself with things that weren't true. There were seasons in your life when you took the name tag of your identity and you wrote failure, when, when God wanted to write 
in process. You wrote faithless when, when God still saw some faithfulness in you. You wrote unloved when God wanted to write loved by deity, made in my image, more valuable than a galaxy of worlds. Part of the ministry of angels is to help us understand who we are and why we're here. And there's a powerful angel passage in Luke chapter 1, you can turn there with me, that shows angels engaged with this idea of answering the questions of who we are and why we're here. There are four angel encounters at the Christmas story, and so we'll tackle each of these encounters in the weeks leading up to Christmas. In Luke chapter 1, verse 5, the scripture says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow. Um, In Romans chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10, the Bible tells us that God is not a respecter of persons. That means that that even though there probably wasn't an angel that showed up at your birth to tell your parents what your name was supposed to be and what it is that you were called to do, that, that you still have a prophetic identity from God. Uh, God didn't send an angel to my mom telling her, I don't think, mom, uh, to telling her what my name was supposed to be and what my calling was supposed to be, but, but I have a destiny. There, there were no angels at my birth that anybody could see, and my destiny is not as significant as John the Baptist, but I have one. And if God had sent angels to that room where you were born, they would have done the exact same thing that Gabriel did with Zechariah. They would have announced your prophetic purpose And then they would have given you a name that matched that purpose. Okay, what was John's purpose? His purpose was to prepare the people of Israel to receive their Messiah. That that was his purpose. 
In fact, um, when the gospel writers talked about John, they used language from the Old Testament. They would quote Old Testament passages that called him a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. The word prepare is interesting because that word was used to describe in ancient king context a person who who would travel ahead of the king to check out the road conditions. And so if there were trees that had fallen across the road or if your little GPS was all red because of traffic on the 210, if there was flooding, if there were potholes, this person was tasked with smoothing it out and getting things ready so that when the king's carriage approached, the king could travel smoothly down the path. That was John's calling. That, that was John's ministry. John got the people ready for Jesus. It's been estimated that nearly a million people in Israel were baptized in John's ministry in that tiny little Jordan River where several of us have been baptized. And we're going back to Israel in October 2023. So some of us will get baptized there again. So think about this. Nearly a million people were baptized with John. So when Jesus came on the scene, there were hundreds of thousands of people poised and ready and waiting to receive him. John's calling was to get the people ready to receive Jesus. And his name matched his calling. If your name is John, do we have any Johns in the room? Any variation of John? If you've got some variation of John in your name, and if you've looked up your name in a baby book, you've probably seen that the Hebrew version of the name John means graced by God. That's awesome. The Greek version of the name, though, means this. The Greek version of the name John means God is a gracious giver. So John was tasked with preparing the people to receive the gracious gift of God, and then he was giving, given a name that matched that calling. Uh, th- there was no greater gift that God could give than Jesus. What, what does John 3.16 say? It seems like there's always somebody at a football game that knows that. But what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave. Well, as we move into this Christmas gift-giving season, we all know that the perfect gift is the gift that we most want to receive given by the person that we most want to receive it from. If you get the perfect gift this year, it'll be the gift you're most longing to receive given by the person we most want to receive it from. I think when I was nine, that was the model of the Millennium Falcon given to me by my dad. There was no greater gift that God could give than Jesus. And there was no more gracious giver than God. John was prepared to get the people ready for the gift, and he was given a name that matched his calling. You know, purpose and identity are a big deal to God. In fact, these angels could get a little bit testy. They could get a little bit uptight when when purpose or identity was questioned. Um, In verse 18, when when Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The, The angel got a little bit indignant. And the angel said, hey, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. 
And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed times. Zechariah, if you can't get your speech to sync up with what God is saying, it's probably better if you just say nothing. So nine months go by. That same angel visits Mary. Mary visits Elizabeth. Elizabeth gives birth. Zechariah is finally allowed to speak. And when he speaks this time, his speech is basically an echo of what God had been saying through the angel. Verse 57, it says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked everyone for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Hey, does, does your speech sync up with God's speech? Does your inner dialogue, you know, we all have an inner dialogue that kind of runs on a loop on the inside of us. Is your inner loop ever getting synchronized with what God would say about you? The things that you ponder and roll over and over in your thinking, do those, do those connect with what God would say? And when you talk to other people, does your speech to them sync up with what God's purpose and what God's speech to them would be? You know, we're reading these angel passages because we want to learn from them. We want to be people that are able to speak words that activate purpose and identity in people. We want to be the kind of people that if you bump too close to me, something of purpose splashes out onto you. Um, I, I want to give you just a couple thoughts, and I'll land the plane. A couple thoughts on how we can get our inner dialogue to line up with what God would say to us about our purpose. And then I'll just give you one thought, one simple thought about how to be people that speak that purpose to others. So, so, so number one... Um, here's the first thought. Number one, study your natural name. Study your natural name. I, I know a lot of parents weren't trying to be prophetic when they gave their kids names. Some were. Some parents are super intentional. Other parents just thought, hey, it's a beautiful name. It fits. Um, and so they gave them that way. But I am shocked as I work with people full time. I'm shocked how often parents accidentally gave prophetic names to their children. They didn't even realize that this beautiful name that they've always liked actually spoke to the essence of who that kid was supposed to be. Your natural name isn't always profound, but more often than not, I find there's something in your literal natural name that speaks to your purpose. So my name, it's kind of funny that my mom's here today. My name is Kristen. And I realize it's a girl's name. Um, we, my parents did not know that. Um, they, they made it up. We didn't know it was a girl's name until I had a, a year in school where three girls were named Kristen. So my name's Kristen. Uh, my middle name is Aaron, and then David and Jackson. 
They spelled Aaron E-R-I-N after the Gaelic spelling of Ireland, I guess. But did, were you guys wanting a girl? But, but, but the name Kristen, even though it's a girl's name, it, it has the same definition as Christopher or Christian. It, it means Christ bearer. Even though my Aaron is the girl's version of Aaron, phonetically, phonetically, it's the same as Aaron, Moses' brother, the first priest of Israel. And, and my dad's name was David, and the name David means to seethe or boil over with passion. When you boil tea, Jessica and I started drinking green tea because it's good for the memory, so we have a cup of memory every night now, but... but <laughs> But when the, when the water starts boiling, that's David. That's the definition. It was a big deal for me when I was a young adult in Bible college. And I realized that my natural name spoke to my purpose. I am a Christ bearer. I am a follower of Jesus. I'm a pastor. That's a priestly vocation. And I'm a David. Or at least I want to be. A worshiper. A, a poet a prayer warrior. So study your natural name. Again, it, 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 might, it might not be terribly profound. I have a sister named Amber. I think Amber means petrified tree sap. So, <laughs> so sometimes you got to dig a little deeper to find something amazing, but, but quite likely you'll find it. Okay, number two, after you study your natural name, ask God to reveal your prophetic name to you. Now, your natural name might be your prophetic name, but you actually have a name from God. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus is speaking and he says this. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Uh, once when I was super discouraged, which has been about, yeah, just once, it's been about a million times, I was journaling and I was, I was just asking God, what, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? And I was writing down what I felt like he was saying to me. And some of you have heard me say this before. I, I, I felt in that moment like God called me, I felt like he said this to my heart. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, son, I see you as Richard the Lionheart. Now, I didn't know anything about Richard the Lionheart. I, I remember the name from reading Robin Hood as a boy, but I don't know anything about that historical figure. And as soon as I wrote it down, I started thinking, no way, I'm making this up. And I started immediately thinking, this is dumb. But before I got to all of the, this is dumb, the words actually made it into my soul. And for at least a moment, the thought went off in me, wait a minute, if that's true, if there's actually a lion inside here, maybe I can make it. And I have made it. And every single one of us here today has a name. I feel like God has called me Barnabas. I'm an encourager. That's what my spiritual gifts are when I take the spiritual gift tests. And what would he tell you? This is worth sitting with in your prayer time this week. This is worth taking your journal and what do you see in me, God? What would you want to write on the, the name tag of my life? So that's number two. Number one, study your natural name. Number two, ask God for your prophetic name. And then as you do this, number three, you also have to reject the labels 
from the father of lies. That there has to be an aggressive, intentional renunciation. I am not that thing that I've embraced. I'm not what they said I am. I'm not what they yelled at me when they were drunk. I'm not what they, they meant when they said that when I was a kid and I couldn't translate what they were actually saying. I'm not what that former sweetheart said. I'm not that thing. The, the, the blood of Jesus has very curious properties to it. The blood of Jesus can take the permanent ink of a Sharpie and turn it into dry erase where it just gets washed out of our soul. And there are times when we have to renounce the labels that have been, been put into us. Because listen, we humans, this is really important for us to know about ourselves. We are so attached to the present moment that we give incredible worth to what's happening right now. But a human life is more than a photograph or a freeze frame or a still shot stuck to the page of a photo album. The human life is dynamic. It's moving. It's a story. It's more of a video than a picture. You could have pushed pause at a present moment in King David's life, and the story would have been atrocious. If his story had ended on certain freeze frames, we would never think about him the way we think about him today. But his life was not limited to, to what he did in failure in a present moment. See, God sees where he's taking you. God is not limited to the present moment. Sometimes present moments are so traumatic. They're so overwhelming that we just assume this is my lot in life or this is who I am. God is moving you beyond that. Sometimes people do this with their successes. Isn't it funny when you... I should be careful because... Maybe you're that person that brags about way back when I was in state, back in high school. But we all do that. Did you ever see um, Napoleon Dynamite? Remember the uncle? Still, oh, if only the coach would have put me in. But, but we do that. Sometimes we camp out on an ancient success when God has way more, much more contemporary success to bring in your life. You don't want to attach yourself to a past moment when God is trying to move you way past that past moment. And this leads to the last thought. Let me give you one more thought here. Just, just about how to speak value into the people around us. Number four, we need to be prophetic people. We need to be prophetic people. We need to see people through the eyes of the Holy Spirit so that our speech lines up with the Holy Spirit. Um, when Zechariah was finally able to talk, Verse 67 says that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. And when he prophesied over his son in verse 76, he said, You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of your God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. I just love this. Zechariah gets filled with the Spirit. And when he starts talking, it, it's, it's identical. It's like a recording of the prophetic word through the angel Gabriel. See, if I get filled with the Spirit and then I look at you, I'm going to see things that God sees. If I get filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, I will appreciate you more. 
I'll be more sensitive to your struggles. Sometimes you have to be filled with the Spirit before you really appreciate somebody's unique strengths or their gifts. But if I'm full of the Holy Spirit and I interact with you, wow, I, I realize you, you're made in the image of deity. You're holy. You need to be treated with care and with dignity. When we get filled with the Holy Spirit, we naturally speak the things that propel destiny, that launch us into destiny. See, when I'm filled with the Spirit, I will never, I will never um, reiterate what the Father of lies says to you. I'll be an angelic messenger that only speaks what the Father of lights says to you. There's a lot of voices in our world. I love how the scripture tells us that the world, the universe was created by the word of God. God's words create worlds. And we, his church, are part of his artistic, creative activity in the world. If, if you have a friend, part of your calling as their friend is to speak words that propel them toward purpose and destiny. If you have a child... The naming process of your kid did not end when that birth certificate was signed. It's still happening. And we've been tasked with echoing the heart and the sentiment of the ultimate father into the lives of those kids. Listen, oh man, our world needs a company of angelic messengers filled with the Spirit able to see what God sees, feeling what God feels, able to speak what God speaks into vulnerable moments. See, that's what Jesus did everywhere he went. Jesus met Simon, and he looked at him and thought, no, I know they've been calling you that for a long time, but that's not going to work for where I'm taking you. I I see a rock in you. So sure, you can still be Simon, but I'm going to call you Petra, the rock. Jesus sees Nathaniel walk up, And I love it when Jesus was, it's kind of amazing. Jesus, who left eternity and glory to walk in humans' shoes, was kind of in awe of these humans that he met. He would marvel at a woman who had faith or audacity. Nathaniel walked up to Jesus, and he's like, wow, there's an Israelite here where there's no deceit in him. There's no guile in him. He meets Saul of Tarsus and realizes, Saul, come on. I see an apostle to the Gentiles in there. The closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to the voice and the the stream or the pull, the force of God that draws us into who we really are. Jesus' purpose, if if, if, if there was an energy field around Jesus, it would be a, a field or a power that would just draw people to become who they are. The closer you live to him, the more you naturally slide into who you are. So... This morning, if, if you've been in a season of failure, if you've been in a season where you have compromised values, if you've messed up personal integrity, we have a remedy for that. It's called repentance. Repentance is the idea of gaining new knowledge, new understanding, so that we can turn our world from one direction into a direction that leads to life. So in the final moments of our time here, if, if any of us have been struggling or compromising or, or man, I, I keep blowing it in this area, we've been given a gift. It's called repentance. And we can leave this morning clean. We can leave with our life reoriented back the direction it's supposed to go. If there's any of you here 
And maybe you don't need to sit with your journal this week because you already know this is the label I've been carrying. My wife is so smart, but she's also very charming and personable and fun. She was a straight A student, much better grades than me. But because of her personality, people called her airhead at different times. And, and, and she kind of grew up feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm little miss personality, but I'm not super intellectual. She is so smart. And, and, and that's a label that has to come off. And there had to come a point in her life when she's like, listen, I'm done with that. And if you can already identify that, as we leave today, you can just metaphorically or symbolically rip that thing off and leave that in the sanctuary. When you talked about altars at the beginning of the service, an altar was a place of exchange where something died for new life to be received. We can have an altar moment here today where this identity that's not from God is laid on that thing forever and a new name is embraced. So we can ask the blood of Jesus to work that magical power to take those things. I I think it's tattooed on my soul. Well, there's a way to get that thing out of there. Why don't you stand with me? If you're here today, and if, if, if you're here maybe because it was Thanksgiving weekend and you're here with a family member, or maybe somebody invited you to church and you decided to come to church, if there's anyone here and you've never yet opened your life to Jesus, I'll tell you what's waiting for you. Your name your purpose. The, the, the idea of Christianity being limiting or restricting is the biggest, it's, it's the biggest deception that's ever been waged in the world. You, you know the first words of God to Adam and Eve in the garden? You are free. You are free to eat from every tree in the garden. There, there is this one I'm going to have you stay away from. You've got you've to have something to obey me over so that this love of ours can be freely given. But the the first words of God, you are free. Christianity is freedom. Following Jesus is not restriction, it's empowerment to live. Yes, I'm going to keep you away from things that will drain the life from you, but if, if you've never opened your heart to Jesus, it happens when we realize this path that I am on is not taking me to life. And and I'm going to just, by faith, I'm going to choose to believe that what is said in here is true, that you love me, that you gave your life for me. So would you wash me? Would you forgive me? Would you make me new? Answer that question of who I am and why it is that I'm here. So here's how I'd like to end this morning. We're not going to do a closing song, but I want to invite anyone who's on our board or our church staff I'd like you to come stand up front, and I would like just an altar moment. We're going to keep this door closed, so I'm going to let you all exit out the back, not this side door. And we would just love to take five or ten minutes and just pray over you. And we want to, we just want to pray and ask God's blessing, and just ask that God would stir up your purpose and your identity and your blessing and your name. So um, any other staff members, any other board members too, come on up front. I'm going to say a closing prayer, and as I pray, I'll let you be dismissed. If you're visiting today, we would love for you to go to our welcome table. We have a gift we'd like to give you. We want to thank you for worshiping. And a time like this, getting prayer doesn't mean I'm struggling. It means I want more of God's blessing. I love the passage where Jacob's wrestling with the angel of the Lord. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me and until you bless me. So I'm going to get some prayer here in a second. I'm still in therapy mode, so I'm going to get some prayer. Anybody that that would like a blessing, we would love to pray for you, okay? I love you.
God bless you. Let's have an incredible holiday season together. Let's invite our friends. Let's turn this sanctuary into a haven and a retreat in these busy weeks of the holidays. But um, let's get prayer. Come on up front. You're dismissed. I'll see you next week.